We're in chapter um, 33 of the book of Exodus. Now remember Joel so kindly, I hope you caught his very humorous uh, email uh, this week. Uh, the trivia, I ought to ask you a question on that because that was a great trivia question. But we're going to do our uh, study of the book of Jude when we're done with Exodus. Uh, and then uh, that's going to take a while because Jude is small, but it is a rich book. It's one of my favorite New Testament books. And then when we're done with Jude, we're going to do First and Second Peter. So we're going to spend some time in the uh, New Testament because we've been in the Old Testament quite a while. So I hope that's all right with you. Even if it isn't all right with you, that's what we're going to do. But I think you'll, you'll be blessed. They're great books. We left last time at verse uh, 12 of, the, of uh, chapter 33. And uh, just quickly summarizing, um, this is the chapter that follows the, the horrible situation of the golden calf worship and all of that. And Moses has come down from the mountain, and, and you know what happened. And God has said to him, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send the angel, my angel, and so on. And then we we read about last week where Moses, what is called this tent of meeting, uh, there's a little bit of discussion of what that is, but anyway, where he meets with the Lord, has fellowship with the Lord, and he asks God for three things, and that's where we left off. So verse 12 is the first, and Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead my people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. This is God speaking to Moses. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, what's going on here? What Moses is doing, and I, I hope this is true uh, in your understanding because it's just so obvious, but Moses is not telling some, God something that God doesn't already know. Do you know what I mean? He isn't saying, well, Lord, just in case this slipped your mind, I want to remind you. You see this in a number of places in the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, but even a little in the New Testament with Paul reminding God of things. That's what it sounds like. But what are you doing? You're stating basic facts to God. God, this is what I know about you. And what is he saying? Remember that this nation is your people. God doesn't know that. He needs to be reminded, Lord, just in case it slipped up on your blind side, I want to, you know, that's silly. That's So what's he doing? He's stating what is crystal clear, reminding himself, but saying, God, now remember, this is what you said. You are, let me put it another way, you are a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. I know that. And I know you don't take covenants or promises or pledges you make lightly. And so God responds then, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, Jim, Moses had to do that because in verse 1, the Lord is suggesting that you're Moses' people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Is, I'm going to, you're your people. You, you know, no, no, Lord, they're your people. You're your people. Because remember, God has entered into, through Abraham, the initial promise is repeated again and again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. 
God is in an, an unconditional covenant relationship with these people. It hinges on him, not them. And so the, the Lord, it, it's, it, it's always curious, why do you have to go through this? I'm not sure I can answer that because obviously I'm not God, but it's refreshing and reminding Moses who he is, that is, who God is, and who Moses is. And then he says, okay, I'll go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, the Hebrew word there for rest is Shabbat, Sabbath. Now, that's not referring to the Sabbath day, which is the, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It's just Moses, in the language he used that we just finished reading, there's some anxiety, there's some concern, there's some almost confusion. And God says, I'll go with you, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you the Shabbat. The, it, it, it's, it's a little bit very similar. Let me put it another way. It's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. All, all you who are heavy laden, you're burdened down, come after me, and I'll give you rest. Remember those words of Jesus? Mm-hmm. It, what, what God is really saying to Moses here is, all right, Moses, you've reaffirmed in the language of the covenant, you've reaffirmed your commitment to me and more importantly, my commitment to you. I'll go with you. You are reflecting, Moses, by what you said and the way you've put it, your dependence on me. Maybe that's what God really wanted to hear Moses say. Again, Lord, I can't do this on my own. They're not my people. They're your people. You made the commitment to them. But Lord, I can't do this without you. If you don't go with me, what am I going to do? If you, if you don't take us into the promised land and you don't go with me as the... Lord, what are, I'm paraphrasing. What am I going to do? And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And I'll give you a rest. You see, it's, a, it's where you and I get to that point, and I'm sure if we went around the table, we could all share those examples in times in our life. You and I get to a point, there are many of them in our lives, where we, in effect, cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't, I can't go forward with this unless you go with me. Or, or just wherever you put it, however you say That's how Peggy and I, we've been praying about this for the last three weeks. That, Lord, you must go with us as we start to, this trip to Pennsylvania. You must guide us because we want to do what is the right thing, the loving thing, to care for our parents, my, my parents. And, and, you know, it's just that same thing. It's dependence. And the Lord said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I'll give you a rest. So that's kind of, I, want, I just want you to see what is really going on here, I think, in this tremendous dialogue with Moses and the Lord and these three requests. Be as two more requests, okay? Yeah. Fred, did you have a question? Uh, in, in this context, you know, I can, I can see that, you know, that he's, he's asking God to go with him and stuff, but in, in, in the Christian today, we should give thanks that God is with us and, exactly. and move forward um, 
no one agrees with this. Absolutely. And the question is presence or lack of, or perceived lack of, I, well, no, absolutely. What you're saying is correct. But sometimes, don't you think it is good for us to say to the Lord, Lord, you've got to go with me in this. He is with us. His spirit is, dwells us and so on. But we're just recognizing again, Lord, I, I am not going to be able to do this without you. Even though Jesus says, Lord, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. All those wondrous, wondrous promises that the Lord's made to us. It's just on our part, you're absolutely right. God's not going to leave. He's not going to say, I'll see you later. <laughs> you can handle this one. I'll talk to you later. You know, on the other side, you know, no, that's not God. But at the same time, let me put it this way. Maybe you don't know this or have experienced this or even maybe you don't even agree with me. But, you know, if things are going pretty well for us, we can kind of forget about the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not that we, you know, he, we're not an atheist or anything, but we just kind of forget about the Lord. And, you know, just a crisis comes or an situation comes or a, a problem or challenge emerges and we cry out to the Lord. Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own. All you're doing is recognizing in another fresh new way in that step of life your dependence on him. I think that is one of the reasons why, if you go back to Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. What's the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's one of those phrases, you know, amen, yes, great, amen. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. It just really sounds spiritual. But poor in spirit is just that. It's a recognition of spiritual poverty. Without the daily recognition of dependence on the Lord, you know, if we try to do things on our own so often, we can mess them up. Don't act wisely or don't act uh, discern- with discernment. And all Moses is doing is just reaffirming, and I think that's why the Lord allowed this to go on, his utter dependence on him. So then his request, starting, sorry, his second request, starting in verse 15, then Moses said, I mean, what God just said, my presence will go with you. So he says, if your presence does not go with us, but God just said, I'm going to go with you. But notice what he's doing. Do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked me because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. The word if is, it is conditional, but he's asking for something else, not only the confirmation of God's presence, will you go with me, but Lord, not out of obligation only, but Lord, are you pleased with what I'm doing? I am acknowledging my dependence on you. But are you pleased with what I'm doing? Um, I'm being a little warm, so I'm going to take my jacket off. Is that important? Yeah. Is that important to the confirmation that, that what you are doing is pleasing to the Lord? 
I think it's important to all of us. Isn't I mean, it? I, I want to know. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not self-elevating. You know what I mean by that? I mean, this isn't pride. It's just saying, Lord, I am acknowledging my dependence on you. And I'm acknowledging that I, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm representing you. Lord, are you pleased? Is there more I need to do? Is there something? It's just kind of like that affirmation. Um, is that important? That's the way God made us. God made us as emotional beings. Emotional, uh, the emotional characteristics of the human uh, species is not a result of chance or randomness. That's the way God made us. And so to be affirming, to be encouraging, to know that you're pleasing, not in the sense of meriting, but just pleasing. It's, Moses is it's a, very, it's a very human, understandable, I think, penetrating discussion between God and Moses. Moses is showing his humanness, and God is showing his recognition of that. Yes, Moses, I'll go with you. Yes, Moses, I'm pleased with what you're doing. And I know you by name. I mean, just look at I know you by name. Why is that important? It's more intimate. It's personal. It's very intimate. It's very personal. Um. Moses isn't just some robotic automaton that's going through the motions, doing what God wants him to do. He is doing what God wants him to do. This is very personal, intimate. One of my wife's favorite passages of Scripture is John chapter 10, where Jesus is teaching, I am the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the great shepherd. If you go through the chapter, that's how it developed. And a couple of times Jesus says... It's two things. I know all my sheep by name, and they hear my voice. I am not a shepherd. I know nothing about herding sheep. But I have been told, because of the nature of sheep, they're not real smart animals or kind of dumb animals in a way, but they are very, very sensitive to the leader that is their shepherd. And they know the voice of their shepherd. And another sheep herder can come in and start to talk to these. They won't respond. But the shepherd comes in and they immediately respond. So when Jesus says, I know your name and my sheep hear my voice. For someone, and that's a guy explained it to me years ago, that really brings resonance to that passage. Jesus knows every one of us by name. And we respond to his voice. Not the voice of a false teacher. Not the voice of a false God. But to the voice of God. That's what's going on here. An intimacy between Moses and God. And God says, yes, I know your name. I'm pleased with what you're doing, Moses. I know this is hard. I know this is wrenching and arduous. But I'm with you. And I know your name. He had said that earlier in the chapter.
Then the last, that is the last request, um, is in verse 18, which is just a remarkable request, almost audacious. Now, Moses said, show me your glory. What does that mean? I I want to see a visible manifestation of you, God. I hear your promise. You're going to go with me. I hear your affirmation that it's unpleasing to you and that you know it's very personal, intimate. Now, Lord, show me a visible, tactile manifestation of yourself. Hasn't he had that with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud? But he did that with all the other people. All of Israel saw that too. Oh, he wants the personal. He wants the personal. You know, it's um, in a way, this connects a little bit with John chapter 14 in the upper room. Jesus has said, I'm going back to the Father, and so on. And you know, he says to the disciples, you know where I'm going. And you remember Philip stands up, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. What do you mean we know? I am the way. Where's the way? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man has seen, uh, um, no man can see God except through the Father, uh, through the Father except through me. You'll, you'll not get to heaven unless through me. Uh, you know the way. And he said, uh, I think it's Philip then saying, okay, Lord, uh, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Lord, show us the Father. Remember Jesus' response? He that's seen me has seen the Father. You know what God's like? You've been with me for three years. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You've been with me for three three years. You've seen me. You know me. You've watched me act. You know my character. You know, you've seen the Father. You know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Now, Moses didn't have that advantage. Moses didn't have that part of God's revelation hadn't occurred yet. So... (laughs) Why is Moses, and in a way we have to speculate here, but why is Moses asking for this? He's gotten the promise from the Lord, I'm going to go with you. He's gotten the affirmation, and he's gotten the affirmation, not only, yes, I'm pleased with what you're doing, but also that it's a very personal, intimate relationship. Why, why does he want this? I Honestly, I'm not sure we know. There's a lot of discussion about this, but what do you think? I mean, again, what I'm trying to do here is we're really seeing the humanness of Moses, but we're also seeing the recognition by God of his humanness. He's going with him step by step. So why do you think Moses, Lord, show me your glory? I've seen it in the cloud, in the pillar. That's how it's you know, led us since we left Egypt. And so, and, and as we were just saying here, it's just very personal. But why? Well, isn't it? I mean, it's true that Moses is not actually going to enter the Promised Land. That's right. So, and he, we don't know that yet, and he doesn't know that yet. Well, doesn't he know that? No, Numbers twenty is is a, it's a result of the sin in Numbers twenty. We're not there yet. 
So my conjecture was. Oh no, I ruined it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't. I don't think that hasn't occurred yet. Uh, they're still at Mount Sinai. That occurs much farther north. But. Okay. What were you going to say? That this. I mean, he knows he's going to be separated okay. from the people, and that. Okay. Um, he just wants one last affirmation. Okay. Any other thoughts? I think, yeah, I think he just wants the sight, you know, just that reassurance by being able to see his image or something. Okay. Uh, to know that he's with him all along. Well, I think, too, say it again. That, that would maybe mean really like kind of the culmination of this personal intimacy, Lord. Let me see your glory. Let me see. Nobody else has done. Let me see it. Is it selfish? No. <laughs> Moses is one of those few individuals in, in the Bible. You know, Abraham comes to mind. Daniel comes to mind. But the real remarkable intimacy Moses enjoyed with God. I mean, this is this is remarkable. And so he's, he's got tremendous responsibilities on his shoulders. He feels it because he, you know, remember just what happened. Thousands in the nation had turned against God and were worshiping this idol. And I mean, Moses is just like, oh, I mean, I'm just, if I were Moses, I'd be, how in the world am I going to lead these people in the promised land? It's only been, it's only been a short time. And I was only up there 40 days and they're worshiping a golden kick. Good. I mean, I would just think, I would have said, Lord, you, you remember that discussion we had back in Midian? I'm reminding you, Lord, I'm not the man. Please get somebody else. That's what I'd have done. But Moses has agreed. Moses is the deliverer. Moses knows what God wants him to do. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, Lord, I'm, one more qu- bold request. Show me your glory. Can you show me yourself at a level of, of a personal, intimate, that no one else has ever known? Now, what I want to do with this, because ver- verse 19, um, really 1920 is just what God says, but verse 19 is filled with some really, really important words. These are the attributes of God summarized. How God responds to this, and the Lord said, now please note there, the Lord is Yahweh. It's all in caps. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That's one attribute. I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. Second, Yahweh. I want to talk about that. I, and he continues, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. All right, what's going on here? I mean, what really is occurring here? So let's back up and do it this way. Does Moses know of God's goodness? Yes. 
Yeah. That's not a hard question. I mean, yes. I mean, yes. the obvious answer to these questions is yes. So, just, so does he know God's goodness? Yes, does. Okay, uh, my name, Yahweh, does he know that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, Yahweh is the self, uh, it's the title of God, the self-sufficient, self-existent Yahweh, self-existent one of the universe. They, he, he owes nobody anything. He is self-existent. I mean, that's, the, that, that's a profound, deep theological name for God. Does, yeah, he knows that. He's addressed him. Does he know of God's mercy? Oh, yes. my goodness, yes. He's seen it in his own personal life, and he's seen it in how he's dealt with this one so far. Now they're only just starting. How about God's compassion? Yeah, yeah, he does. So you know, God is saying, you know, "I, I will, I will let you see my goodness, manifestations of who I am as Yahweh, my mercy and my compassion." And Moses, you have tons of evidence of all this. So, in other words, Moses, I have already revealed to you my glory. You see my glory in what I've done. You understand what he's... This is what God's saying to him. Moses, you have seen manifestations of my glory. You've seen my goodness. You've seen my self-existent nature, my uncaused nature. You've seen my mercy in your own personal life and how I've dealt with you, and you've seen my compassion. You just saw it. I didn't wipe Israel out and start over again. Now, I'm saying all this because for you and me, this, this is one of the things that I'm, I'm going to use a couple of examples. This is one of the things that's so frustrating for Jesus when he is in his three years of public ministry. Is Jesus, let's just use it, is Jesus showing all those things? Mm-hmm. Just use those four. You can add more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all over the place. Yeah. Everything, everything that the Old Testament prophets had said, Messiah will do, Jesus does them. And you have a couple of these audacious Pharisees, show us a sign and we will believe. He says, after the third year of his public ministry, if I were Jesus, I'd have said, Gabriel, thunderbolt, right there, wipe him out. I mean, I, you know, that's just so far. What do you mean? Show me a sign. It's been three years of signs. Now, th- th- this isn't the same spirit in which the Lord is responding to Moses here. But he's saying, Moses, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. You've seen that. You're 80 years old. You've seen this. Proclaim my name. My, oh my. You have seen my name, Yahweh proclaimed. You saw it in the 10 plagues. You saw the self-existent Yahweh, the self-existent great I am of the universe, making war on the gods of Egypt and dismantling. Mercy, compassion. But Moses, verse 20 You cannot see my face. No one can see me in love. The visible, tactile vision of who I am. Why? Because the Bible makes very, very clear. 
at the absolute center of God and who he is is absolute pure holiness. And a sinful human being cannot see absolute pure holiness. Do you follow me? That's why God has to make us holy, make us righteous. How does he do that? Through Christ. That's what justification is. We are declared righteous. We're made righteous when we put our faith in Christ. Now, I'm saying all that because this is a... This is a um, foreshadowing of what is going to change when Jesus comes. Now, I hope I hope you're putting some linkage there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is because what Israel has to do, what Israel has to go through, all the ceremonies and sacrifices to have a relationship with God. You know, you know what I mean? All the sacrifices, the feast days and all that. Once Jesus comes and fulfills all that, all that is set aside, is completed. The, 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 the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place is torn in half. Now, 24-7 access to God. Do you and I have the promise that we will fellowship intimately with God in eternity? Yes. What Adam and Eve lost in Genesis 2 is restored to us through Christ. So we're reminded by the statement of the Lord here to Moses, we're reminded still, despite the intimacy Moses enjoyed with the Lord, you know, even to the he knows his name and all that, there's still a distance between Yahweh and Moses because of sin. But that distance, let's just, well, let me put it this way, that distance will be bridged, and that bridge is the cross. That, that, that's, that hasn't happened yet. We're still 1,400 years from that happening, I mean, at the time of Moses. But I'm just, I'm trying to, I hope I'm, I'm accomplishing that, to, to knit the parts of the Bible together. This is an extraordinary statement, but it is something. It is something that will be available to you and me. Isaiah sees the Lord's glory in Isaiah chapter 6. And if you go and study that, there's, it's the early part of that chapter. What's the very first thing Isaiah says? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You've got to take, take something from the, from the, from the, the, uh, the, uh, the fire there in heaven because t- I'm a sinner. When, when Peter in Luke chapter 5, and the Lord says to him, uh, you've been fishing all night. Throw your throw your net on the other side of that boat. And if you study that, it's really remarkable. Every fish in the Sea of Galilee jumps into that net. <laughs> it's so heavy they can't even pull it up. And it was the very first thing that Peter says: "Get away from me, Lord! I'm a sinner." <clears throat> what I'm saying to you is that when when a human being genuinely sees. The manifestation of the glory and holiness of the Lord, there's the recognition of our inadequacy. Jesus takes care of all that for us. I know we don't get excited about biblical truth in this class, but that's one of those great promises that you and I will walk with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. 
Revelation 21, 22 explains it. Isaiah 65 and 66 explains it. So we're just we're seeing in a sense then still this issue. This has to be resolved. Intimacy is possible. Fellowship is possible. But to walk with God physically in a sense. Jesus still has to come. Jesus has to solve the problem. Okay. You with me? Mm-hmm. There's a lot you can knit together in this remarkable discussion that uh, Moses and Jesus, uh, Moses and God is having. And the Lord said, "There is a place near me. I'm in verse 21, where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen." Already, Moses, you can see some of it, but the not yet is future. You can't see my face. That's why I like that little phrase. The already, he's, he's, he's enjoying it already. The not yet is future. That's where you and I are. How do you know the attributes personally, intimately of God? It's through Jesus. That's the already, but the not yet. That's future. But if the already has been fulfilled, humanly speaking, what are the odds the not yet will be fulfilled? Do you understand how I'm putting that? So it's just, it's, it's just again, it's a reminder of the distance that sin produces necessarily between true personal physical intimacy with God. Something has to happen, and that is the coming of Jesus. All right? There's a lot of theology in this. I've been dumping a lot of it. I hope you... That's kind of why we pray Yeah. in the name of your son. Exactly. Someone someone, uh, one time put it like this. We pray to Jesus by means of the Spirit to the Father. In other words... It's through Jesus, by means of his spirit, that we have access to the Father. And that all three, you know, the three and one of the Godhead. But each one, that's how the New Testament knits all that together. Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. And uh, one of the things in John's Gospel, one of the things that's going to really change is your prayer life. Now ask anything in my name, and I'll take it to Father. Now, that's not a royal blue 911 Porsche, but you know, you know what I mean. In my name, it could, it could be. <laughs> I did tell you this story. I, you know, okay, I, thought it, I have one. My, it's this big. It's an old glass case. My kids got it for me. All right, chapter 34. After this remarkable discussion, really, exchange between the Lord and, and Moses. Um, can I ask you a question oh, before uh, we go on? Please, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, we've talked about Moses who had this very intimate relationship sure. with the Lord, and he asks this. Mm-hmm. What does that suggest about us? I mean, is it presumptuous on our part to also ask for some exposure? Or, I mean, if he does, we're not going to be put in a cleft in a rock and have him walk by. <laughs> no. but we might see is. Mm. You see him act in some 
very miraculous way? Or I mean, how does it? I mean, because I mean, I think all of us at some point in time need encouragement, and which would come from this. I'm sure Moses had to be lifted up. By Absolutely, the and I, I think that's what part of what's going on because of what he will face in in the in the years to come. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that because if you look at each one of the three requests, I think it's, it, we talked about that is very valid for us to ask for the Lord's affirmation, to ask, you know, Lord, what I'm doing is am I pleasing you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's um, I'm not sure how to answer your question. I think what you're really keying in on is this: you know, I want to see your glory, Lord. You know, I want to see something physical, tactile. Um, you know, God is not, if, if you ask to see God, he's probably not going to answer that question and, and answer the honor of that request. I, it, you know, in the way in which I, using the words that Moses used, I'm not sure the Lord is going to honor that request. But I do think, I've done that many times in my life, perhaps some of you have too, to ask and this is maybe being presumptuous, but to ask for some kind of confirming sign that, you know, Lord, everything that, you know, with wisdom and discernment, you know, you, you're trying to make a major decision and just ask for a confirming sign that, that Lord, just vow that, because I don't, I don't want to make a mistake and I don't want to defame you and your name. I don't want to make you ashamed of me. I want to do what's right, and it's it's just not clear. I'm trying to set it up in such a way, and I think God is pleased to answer that type of question, that plea, that request. Um, it probably won't be in the sky. Take this direction, Jim. <laughs> you know? But in a way, God, you know. Let me tell you something. This morning, it just was a. Uh, it was really neat to hear him say that. It's a horrible situation. One of the guys in my 6.30 Bible study, and I am in the morning when I have one group of business guys, and the one guy, it's been, I may have mentioned this, it's been a horrible 18 months for this guy. 18 months ago, I came home one night, his wife gave him divorce papers. Mm. It's horrible. It's been a horrible situation. She's having an affair with another man. of two little boys. Monday was the court date. The judge, she lied. I mean, the judge ruled favorably for him in every area uh, because of her. But he, it's been hard. It's been wrenching because he's loved her. She led him to Christ. She, she brought him to the Savior. And they, I mean, they had a, been married for quite a while, but she just got messed up with this other guy. But anyway... And so, um, as they were, as you know, they had the, 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 the final thing on Monday at the courthouse. And the one thing he didn't want to do was go out and see her, you know, the emotion of that. And he was just saying that as he and his attorney, as they were, you know, they were talking for quite a while, and he thought, oh, good, by the time I get to the parking garage, she will be gone. Well, he gets to the parking garage, and there she is. And so he gets in his car, and she got in her car, and he followed her out. And he just, oh. And so she went to the one thing, and, and he went to the other. And as they're going out, he pulls out, and she pulls out. And he said, the Lord just kept saying to me, don't look in the rearview mirror. Just keep looking forward. 
And so Brian just shared that and he said, you know, that's what I did. Because just kind of metaphorically, just as a just as a as a figure, this is not my life. I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. And I said to him after he shared, I said, you know, Brian, that's really a New Testament principle. Paul says in Philippians, I no longer look back, I only look forward to the high calling of the prize that's in Christ Jesus. For Brian, that was kind of a sign. He had been asking, he, he was just feared that day last Monday. It was going to be, honestly, if any of you have ever been anything, through anything like that, terribly emotionally wrenching, just tearing him up inside. But that's what she wanted. She'd filed for divorce and all that stuff. And just how the Lord took care of him. He, he had this story of these last 18 months. They have two little boys, nine and seven. Those little boys are going to be really marked by this. But he got full custody. Um, they had, their, his address is their legal address. They'll stay in their own schools and all that stuff. But she still has the visiting right. Takes them on Friday night for a weekend, every other week or something like that. And they hate it. And I just, it's all this wrenching stuff, but it was just important for him a confirming sign, quote unquote, from the Lord. Don't look back now, Brian. Don't look in that rearview mirror. Because of her choice, that part of your life is over. Now go forward with me. So that, that's a visible thing. I don't think that was a coincidence. I don't. I don't think that was just a happenstance. That was extremely powerful for him for that to happen that way. So that's, God, I think, does those kinds of things for us. All right. Can we finish, ex did, Fred, do you have your hand up? Okay, I thought you're, you're, sometimes your hand is your pen, and I wasn't sure I want to honor that. I would love to be done with Exodus when we finish today. It's, it, God would be really pleased if we could do it. If we don't, that's all right. We only, have, we only have about 12 minutes, so I probably won't be able to do it. But chapter 34 is the last chapter because the rest of the book is about the tabernacle, and, and we already covered that. So I kind of think of chapter 34 as covenant renewal, the renewal of the covenant. It isn't, it's been established. It's just the renewal of it. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them that were on the first tablet, which you broke. When did he break them? When he came down from Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. But you ready in the morning and come up Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one to come up. I'm not going to even read all that. It's just the same. He's going to do it again. Then verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you see any similarity to what we saw in verse 19? How do you know the Lord exists? By what he does by his attributes, by his character traits. You and I will not see his glory until we go to heaven. But do we see the evidence of his glory? 
Moses, uh, uh, rather, uh, the text is saying. On the mountain, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who he is. And you take that cluster of verses, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, the Old Testament narrative is a perfect example of all of this. God's dealing with Israel is a perfect example of all of this. And I would believe that every one of you sitting around this table could say, God's dealing with me is a perfect illustration of this. Has he forgiven me? Yes. Has he forgiven my rebellion? Yes. Has he forgiven my, Has he maintained love to me? Yes. Has he maintained compassion and grace? Yes. How do I know what God's like? I look at how he has dealt with me. That's really what's going on here. Moses doesn't see personally the glory of God face to face, but he sees every piece of evidence of who he is, what his glory is like. Yet, please note that you you see that there in verse 7, right in the middle. There's an adversative, yet. Justice and love and forgiveness does require judgment for those who refuse his compassion, his mercy, his grace. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, love, compassion, grace, mercy, etc. If that's all you have, then you really don't have a just God. Justice, the Lord deals with that through Jesus. As I've said to you before, at the cross, the justice and mercy and grace and love and compassion of God intersect. Because Jesus takes the judgment and the punishment. But what is his requirement? That you acknowledge that and apply it personally. As I've said, you know, he lays the gift on the table. I've done it all. I've taken care of all of it. But you've got to pick it up. You have to acknowledge and accept it. What if you don't pick it up? And you have chosen a life of rebellion against me. You've chosen to refuse my love and grace. That's what you've chosen. And that's what your eternity will be like. It's, I mean, I'm not trying to be crass. That's exactly how it's presented in the scriptures. And so when, when this is being recorded, you have the two sides of who God is. And so it's God is making this provision for ancient Israel. This provision is through the sacrifices through the feast days, I mean, all of those things that enable Israel to walk with him in fellowship and communion. When Jesus comes, in the words of Hebrews, he does that once, sacrificing the cross for all. Now it's done. And here it is. Here's the gift. It's on the table. You pick it up. If you don't pick it up, then you're choosing, you're choosing to reject me, reject my grace, reject my love, so you're choosing to live your life without me. And that's what eternity will be. 
I think I've told you for C.S. Lewis in his great book, The Great Divorce, which I think one of the best books he's written. And so he says, God does not send people to hell. That's what they've chosen. They've chosen a life without him. They've chosen to live their lives in rebellion, rejecting every revelation of God, his creation, his con- their conscience, his moral law, and Jesus. Those four revelations, you reject them all. So what's, what's eternity? Eternity reflects your choice. Whereas if you and I pick up the gift, that means everything's done, everything's been completed. And so eternity is the fellowship of communion with him forever. He just says, Lewis says, God doesn't send people to hell. That's what they choose. And then he writes in another sentence, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom and autonomy there is. I think, it's a, I think that's an accurate biblical statement. That's what it is. God doesn't send people to hell. That's what they've chosen. It's a trajectory. Eternity is a trajectory, you know what that word means, of what you've chosen in time. And God is just saying, that's what you've chosen. That's what you want. So I'll honor that forever. All right. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. The Lord said, if I found favor in your eyes and let the Lord go with us, although this is a stiff-necked people. How many times? You're going to see that again. Well, we, we aren't studying any more than the Old Testament, but that stiff-necked people metaphor is all over the Old Testament. Forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. We, we are your inheritance. We are the object of your covenant promise. And so, you, how many times you see this? Moses stands in the gap between the people and the Lord. And he confesses the sin. He, forgive us, Lord. And so, it's just a great example of a leader doing what only, uh, asking what only the Lord can do. So, the Lord said, I'm making covenant with you. Be for you, all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation of the world. People you live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, do, uh, do for you. Obey what I command you, and I'll drive out before you. And these are all the Canaanite tribes, Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, etc. And then he says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare to you. It's just really interesting. Don't make a treaty, an agreement with them. What he wants them to do is clear out the land, get rid of the Canaanites. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. What does that mean? That God's a jealous God. I mean, Fred, you meant one of uh, Packer's chapters is the jealous God. Did you come across that? That's a great chapter. Okay, what does that mean that God's jealous? That sounds like you and I talk of jealousy as a sin. It's not a good character trait. So what does that mean? No other gods. Other gods. It's a, this is a positive attribute of God. If I am who I say I am and you see everything I'm doing, why in the world would you make a stick or a stone and worship that? Which is what the Asher, the Asher are poles. They're poles that the Canaanites uh, 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 worshipped. Uh, they're the consorts of Baal. It's just God is just, he's drawing the line in the sand. You're my people. I'm, I'm re- renewing this covenant with you. Just want to remind you 
I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to tolerate you mixing worship of me with the Baals or anyone else. Rob? Have we seen the Ten Commandments yet? I mean, he's just carved them out of stone. The, well, the first one, you know, is what he broke in in anger at at the uh, the Baal, or I mean, at the golden calf altar and all that stuff that they had constructed. Yes. So now, now God is is uh, again going to write him out again. That's what he's up there. Is that your question? Well, I think so, and I'm I'm connecting jealousy. If I'm following you correctly, I'm <laughs> connecting the jealousy with the declaration of the, the validity of the first commandment. Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. If the cursed commandment means anything, then necessarily what follows is God is jealous. He's not going to share his glory and honor with another god or gods or anything else. Yeah. And so that instruction then, don't make idols in verse um, verse 17. And, and then so, just a review, celebrate the unleavened bread, festival weeks, festival and gatherings and so on. And so we don't really need to read all that because that's just a reaffirmation of everything that God had stated earlier. So the covenant is renewed. The Ten Commandments are, maybe we put it this way, are reissued. (laughs) This time Moses doesn't break them in anger. And uh, the law of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, is now inaugurated and instituted. And that's why the rest of Exodus, which we summarized the other week, the rest of Exodus is just about the tabernacle, which is the key to their um, uh, the key to their walking with the Lord in fellowship, sacrifices, and all of that. So um, we are done now with Exodus, which is really we don't get to say that very often in this class. We finished a book, so. <laughs> When I return, uh, remember next week we don't meet. Now when I return uh, in our class, the 28th, we're going to pick up with Jude. Now Joel and Fred, I think, have both in two emails sent you the material on Jude. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. It's going to be at least five weeks on Jude. It's a short little book, but it's, a, it's really a treasure. I think you'll be blessed by it. It's one of my favorite New Testament books. All right? Let me pray here. Lord, you're, uh, you're a God who is merciful and compassionate and good. You're the self-existent, self-sufficient, great I am of the universe. You're, you're gracious and uh, you're forgiving, and yet you're a just God as well. All of those attributes of you are in perfection. And uh, Lord, it is amazing to us that as our creator and our redeemer, the one who loves us, you provide a way for us to have a fellowship and intimacy with you. Uh, Moses enjoyed that at a level, but we can enjoy it at a different level, a greater intimacy, because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we have the promise uh, in the new heaven and the new earth of walking and fellowshipping with you in an intimacy that only Adam and Eve enjoyed. So we really praise you for that. That is part of what you're doing in history. You're reconciling rebellious humanity to yourself through Jesus Christ. And I pray that everyone in this room has picked up that gift. They personally appropriated it to their life. And they are now beginning that walk with you that goes well into eternity. That's a wonderful fact. It's a promise that will be fulfilled. But it starts now. Eternal life, in a sense, begins now because we begin to enjoy 
at intimacy and fellowship with you. Thank you for our time in the book of Exodus. And as we, after our return, as we begin the book of Jude, it's a t- tremendous little treasure that has a lot to say about keeping the faith and trusting in, in, in the faith once delivered to the saints. Phrases out of that wonderful book. So we look forward to that. Pray we watch care over everyone in these weeks of summer, and especially uh, next week we won't meet, but as we gather, take care of us, uh, give wisdom and discernment where it's needed, help us to grow in our intimacy and trust with you, and in what we do and say, we want to represent you well. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Jerry.